Hi, this is Jason Montag with Real Technical Midwest, and everything you're about to hear was performed and written by ChatGPT. Welcome to Real Technical Midwest. I'm here with Neil Sample. Hello, Neil. Howdy, howdy. And Patrick Gaynor. Hi. And I'm Jason Montag. And today we're talking about something that is in the news and sort of vitiating the the engineering organizations of every major corporation this morning um, and and all of the art houses and graphic design uh, folks who may have not heard about their jobs uh, going away tomorrow. Authors. And and authors and content creators and all that, Um, which is uh, chat GPT. and generalized artificial intelligence that really is starting to become something incredibly different than we've experienced it in the past. Um, it has felt like, to your use your words, Neil, a bit of a step function for this version, GPT-3. And we all know there's going to be a four and a five, and it's going to continue to get better. But we're going to talk about that. Before we get started with that, and I don't mean to timestamp our uh, conversation here, but it is the new year. <clears throat> we are in 2023. So first question I have for you both is, this is a corny question, so I'm sorry. What do you guys think New Year's resolutions? Do you have one? Oh. Do you have a personal opinion about making them? That's one. That's question one. And then um, when you're answering that question, it might be good to hear about what you're thinking of for 2023, either professionally, personally, or have you not thought that far ahead yet? Mm. This is strange because it's coming off the back of our performance review uh, episode where we're talking about goal setting, (laughs) like how New Year's resolutions are just set up to fail. Uh, I coincidentally take a very similar approach. I do create like a goal, like something I want to accomplish this year. So I kind of just want to read more books. But I'm not being overly specific about the number of books. Uh, I'm trying to come up with some way to force myself to do it. Like, hey, you could only watch uh, a season of a television show for every book um, that you read. But pretty soon I'll just be reading my kids' I Survived book series instead of like actual books that like, get you going so I can do it quicker. But uh, I like New Year's resolutions. I love like the idea the of the romance like, of it all. Yeah, of, like, hey, I'm going to start. I'm, First few steps on a new journey. Um, I mean, it's usually followed by the immediate disappointment that you failed in the first day. But for the most part, <laughs> you don't, I find them. You don't strike great. me as a guy who fails the first day. So, in, in it, when it comes first to like week. going to the gym, like you never miss days that way. I, I'm weird about certain so things that like that. I have thing, that right? kind of discipline, but like um, aspirational type goals. I think are hard, especially when um, most people's goals in, involve some sort of like gigantic lifestyle change. And it's like, all right, we'll take it one baby step at a time, right? I think it's funny too when when people talk about their lifestyle change while they're doing the thing they want to change. It's like mm-hmm. I'm I'm pounding liquor and I'm like, tomorrow I'm not going to drink anymore, that type of thing, or I'm not going to eat all this crap while they're shoving. Things <laughs> I quit in their mouth. smoking while you're packing chew. Yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> Neil, what about you, man? Mm-hmm. 2023, uh, brave new world out there. What are you thinking? 
Yeah, so um, I really just, I like the process, uh, I'll be honest, because what it does is it, it sort of like forces you to look back and say, what are the things that you want to do better? It's almost always put in terms of, you know, I am drinking too much, I'm not reading enough, right? Like it's, it is um, kind of introspective. It's like, what is it that I am oftentimes disappointed by that I wish I'd done better or weight loss or, you know. Lots of uh, lots of goals that are looking at something and saying, okay, this is the thing I want to improve. And then setting up maybe a metric or a rubric. And maybe you do put a, like Patrick said, a, a rule together. This is all right, I get I get the one show if I read one book, you know, kind of trade off. And, and so it's a way of, of creating an incentive system for yourself to get something done, even if, you know, it's only breaking a promise to yourself. That's still mm-hmm. some sort of positive motivation. So I'm a huge fan. Um, of the process like I I know a lot of people say oh it's you know it becomes its own job and yes people fail in the first week and you know it leads to cycles of disappointment whatever that's almost taking it too seriously like just taking the time to sit back and say yeah these are the things I want to do better like reading more sounds good and if you do read more probably is good (laughs) (laughs) so you know i like i'm a fan of nothing bad coming from it right yeah usually it's a pretty positive uh uh thing like it's not like i want to kick 10 puppies this year we got to six last year like you never you never hear of the process put in a way that's that's sort of negative or have you know so even culturally um it tends to be a pretty uh generative thing so i'm a i'm a big fan how about your uh, 2023 look ahead as you look at 2023 and think of all the things contextually that have been happening even the things that we're getting ready to talk about um any thoughts plans family plans personal professional uh, it doesn't have to be plans maybe just mm-hmm. general general thoughts um so i'm pretty pedestrian right so uh, two things that are on my list that are kind of relevant for today. One is actually um, AI and getting back into it in a way that is deep. Um, you know, I did a lot of AI years ago. My first master's um, thesis is actually, uh, you know, on having machines make decisions for workloads. Um, and it was very simple, kind of, you know, not deep learning at all, but just basically... Uh, we'll call it shallow learning, still machine learning. And I realized, like, after seeing these things um, last year, whether it was uh, visual things in, in June timeframe, like a Dolly or um, end of November, looking at GPT-3 and, and chat GPT on top of that, like, I'm like, okay, that's something I need to get back in because it's got a relevance that uh, that um, is, in my opinion, probably going to be unsurpassed in the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, and then there's the pedestrian one, which is to keep my weight in the <laughs> ideal range. Well, yeah, I mean, the weight part is not so pedestrian when you think it's hard to do AI when you're dead, right? So if, you're, if your heart goes kaput, uh, no more AI. Right, mm-hmm. right. So All right, interest, that's interesting. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Well, I, I actually love the process only because I feel like it's a reminder. I mean, it's a global, simple reminder that, hey, you got to make some changes likely you should reflect on what's happening and do something different. But generally speaking, I haven't really uh, started my process for 2023 because I'm, um, you know, the, the holidays are so busy and lots of crazy stuff. But 
weight has to be a huge part of it. I'm carrying, a tra- I'm dragging a trailer around right now. So I need at least three more good years of, uh, of, uh, athletic achievement. And then, uh, and then I'll retire. Mm. Um, but I would say the other, to your point, um, regarding AI, I, I've never been in it. I'm learning at breakneck speed, but I'm so fascinated, fascinated by <clears throat> this type of disruption. There's so much, there's so much that you don't really think about or think could be disrupted until you put your hands and start to mm-hmm. see this work in front of you. You're, it's almost hard to conceptualize it. But now that um, we actually have been given tools that work well, really, really well, um, it's no longer hard to imagine. And it's happening all the time. People are uh, embedding APIs to this open AI organization's tool sets and Dolly and ChatGPT and all these other tools are now available even to be consumed by by companies that want to move in move this direction wrap that incredible AI and just build a service that nobody's thought of with it using it so I'm 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 super intrigued I, that that actually brings us to sorry go go ahead Patrick No I, I think I'm in the same boat and I think we'll talk about it a little bit today which is um where where I'm also intrigued is I've always been as a developer in a position where I never had to worry about my own job being automated or taken away. And now all of a sudden it's creeping in where it's like, oh man, pretty soon they're not going to need um, developers or anything like that anymore. I mean, maybe that's way down the road, but it started to get me thinking about other industries or other maybe creative arts where this has happened. And um it just morphed. So like the example I kept thinking about is like DJs don't actually make the original music, but they can leverage Mm. the music other people made to make something creative. And like, is this like the next evolution of like what a developer is, is you actually don't physically write code, but you know how to use the system to do it. There's so much I'm interested in. Uh, It's true. And I have a story about that. And in in the short time I've been screwing around with these these tools, let's just talk quickly about the origins of, um, I don't know if we want to talk about chat GPT, but just um, AGI in general. um, And maybe you could talk about open open AI and, and some of the origins there. But Neil, start, start us down the road here of what is the tool? What are we kind of talking about in general and start to frame it out for, for maybe for the listeners? Yeah. So I think, you know, there are a couple of different categories that are getting a ton of attention right now. Um, And I think the uh, difference is really these days in there, not only the quality of the work they're producing, but the accessibility of that. So when you think about Dolly, um, it's just a command line basic tool but it's available on the web and anybody can type what's top of mind and it generates a picture generates Mm -hmm. art um and that's something that regular normies can do just type something oh i want to see um jordan peterson in the baroque era and then voila (laughs) you know there he is and it's like well that's funny and then you say ah put a clown hat on it (laughs) oh my god make him a gesture and then then it happens and so that's something regular people can do and even more so um like mid journey you join a discord server right and then just throw uh ideas out there and and 
get feedback immediately. Like it is the epitome of accessibility right now. Older folks are maybe not on Discord as much, but I know my kids are and didn't start there for school, started there for gaming and chat and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so it's like ultimately accessible. I think the difference with um, GPT-3 and chat GPT on top is that now there's a natural language common interface that not only takes those regular prompts. So you don't need, you know, R as a language to run a query against a large data set, do data mining, right? It's not a data scientist type, you know, data scientist friendly input model. Mm -hmm. It's natural language. It's NLP. So you just say what you want. And then it spits out something else that's usable. It doesn't give you a large data set or a file to feed into another process in a workflow. It gives you like a limerick. You know, and these are things or that source code or source code which is or a poem, bananas to me. Or, yeah, lots of stuff like or that, contents. Yeah. But but all of a sudden you've got an input side that's very, very good. That's accessible mm-hmm. by normal people. And you've got output that's relevant to normal people. You couple that with a step function improvement in quality. And now all of a sudden the potential ubiquity of this thing becomes, I think, and we'll and we'll get to the point where it's like, well, how did it happen that quickly? Which it didn't, right? It's like mm-hmm. an overnight success, seven years in the making, right? But it's um, let's back up. So yeah. back up to the point where it's um, where you're talking about maybe your first <laughs> uh, master's thesis, where sure. you're doing AI and in general, um, and you're thinking about this pro- these problems. But just give us the nuts and bolts. What what are we talking about here? Um, a primer, a one-on-one primer for, for, for the... Sure. So, you know, back in the day, I was working on um, really fundamental stuff um, that, uh, again, scale is different, techniques are different, etc. But like I was building um, classifiers, right? And I published a paper on um, KD trees and nearest neighbor search. And the idea behind it is, what if you have all these... Um, uh, objects and they have attributes they have features and you very simply want to sift through you know a billion items and find the ones that are most similar to each other right it's like think of it like a search query only for something that's generic like i want to um, create a model of the universe that classifies people and maybe it's got all sorts of vectors about the people it's got income levels and height and political ideology and content production, right? Just a random set of stuff. You want to put them all together and then you want to find clusters like who are most interesting. And, you know, there are a lot of business problems that that's appropriate to. Like maybe it's um, identifying a solicitation for marketing or you want to do some fundraising or you want to have a community group. You want to... Um, find a hobby, you know, people like you, or it's a dating site, right? Like, this is the kind of thing that classifiers like that um, were all the rage. um, And they were the kind of things that you could do in a machine um, that had previously been done by normal people, but couldn't be done at that scale, couldn't be done at a global scale, right? Um, And, you know, one of the examples uh, we used in in my later work um, at Yahoo uh, was actually a dating site, a personal site that we put up in India that traditionally that had always had always been done by local people. But it was uh, networks, 
matchmakers, you know, yentas. Like it was, this was the kind of thing that was done. Except all of a sudden we were like, well, wait a second. We can do it infinitely fast. We can have full coverage. We can get information that's not otherwise available. And so we took a, a basically a classic matchmaking knowledge retrieval problem and then turned it into a thing on the internet. And we've seen multiple, multiple instances of that. So there are all these sorts of things back in the day that were like, hey, it would be much better if it worked with more scale, more coverage, faster, etc. And that's what we were doing. We were building classifiers that said, hey, we've actually got more information than a certain human could possibly process. Or even if you could process it, we have more information. These were fairly rudimentary problems. Um, and, you know, this was, was state of the art, uh, you know, 30 years ago. Um, however, in the interim, you know, then you worked a little bit farther, a little bit, uh, you know, in specialized domains. Then you got this really powerful, specific AI, um, things like um, image processing and looking for uh, cancer, like oncology, doing radiology. Um, better than a radiologist, right? You did this machine learning, you train neural networks to look for features, and all of a sudden, the computer is giving you a faster, better answer than the human. And these were assistive AIs, so you would actually get, maybe feed an image into a radiology scan, and if it was clean, that was, you know, really easy to sort of move past, but if there was a potential issue, then you would send it to radiologist so it was an assistive ai and it started to help make decision making so we call it decision support wasn't necessarily putting somebody out of a job yet and that kind of ai started to get used all over probably uh 15 years ago right um so you would see things like that in medicine you would see fraud alerts in credit scoring you know but a lot of this again was building fairly shallow models, right? And it would be like, hey, guess, guess what? You charged um, at a Starbucks, you know, in Pensacola, Florida. And then 12 minutes later, a TV at Best Buy in Birmingham, Alabama, probably fraud, right? So again, but a human could have figured that out. They just wouldn't have seen it in real time or right. whatever. So again, fairly shallow learning, but starting to get ubiquitous. Rigid, too. Yeah, fairly rigid. Not a lot. Um, and this is a we talked we've talked offline about the problem with neural nets is that they are really good at learning about the things that they've seen, but they haven't seen the entire universe, and so reasoning beyond the input data is very mm -hmm. difficult for them. Um, but then, you know, so again, that's state of the art 15 years ago, like this fraud detection and stuff. What we're seeing now, though, in the form of these generative AIs, whether it's in the imagery space, again, like a mid-journey or, or a dolly, um, or in the tech space, this is orders of magnitude better. Because you're asking questions that get parsed into a domain. You know, you can say... Um, give me a, a limerick about the Boston Red Sox eh, with a Cockney rhyming scheme. <laughs> and it comes out and tends to be pretty good, right? Like that is the kind of thing that you could never have done with a classifier, certainly 30 years ago. And these sort of shallow predictive models were not generalized and didn't feel like a, a linguistic domain. 
to now, now it feels like an alien landscape. So you've got two, you mentioned, just mentioned two things. One of them is natural language, which is a massive leap forward. The other is data size. The data yeah. set is massive. But I agree with you, the, the idea of a radiologist looking at a, at a film and, and saying, here's, here's what I think. I remember 15 years ago when they, there was a big push to say, look, the data tells us the computer will actually make wildly better choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Much di- better. Much yeah. better. And there was a little bit of discussion. Okay, well, maybe we've get, our radiologists are going away, which didn't happen. Um, based on what you said, uh, you know, became more of a decision support model for, for folks. What's different now? What else is different now uh, in terms of the way that is people are talking about this type of AI versus before? Because Yeah, you know, well, so I would push back a little bit and say a lot of the radiologists and other folks kind of did go. Um, and it's not necessarily just radiology. And, and in, in large part, that's because it's very, very high stakes. Um, but in the medical field in general, a lot of claims processing has actually been automated, has turned over to AI. And in many places, um, what's interesting is that legally you only need a physician involved, uh, for example, if a claim is denied. And so an AI will oftentimes take a look at a medical claim. Um, and there are several companies that do this. So I'm not even picking on or supporting any one of them. Um, but it'll look at a claim and say, yep, let's move it on through because it, it's actually better, faster, and cheaper than having a human do it. However, if you then deny a medical claim, you kick it over to a physician who says, I'm a real human, I'm taking a look at it, because that's what's required by law. It's not even required uh, technologically, but, but what that means is it used to be physician review would happen on, say, all claims, and now it's happening on denied claims, right? It's part of the reason because they want to absorb a bit more of the context or is it more of a accuracy uh maybe it's a fallacy right they are handing it to a human who's probably not as good at doing this as the as the machine was but but they just feel better about themselves now or is it are there other reasons well it's definitely cheaper so if you can have a machine that never sleeps never is wrong never needs a raise um comes down in cost over time etc and most of your answers are yes, right? Let's take like a medical claims issue. Um, then why have a doctor waste their time, right? Yeah, like right. there's there's just no value add to actually having a human, right? So the human, if you're an operations researcher, is what you call the, the NVA, non-value added activity, right? Like <laughs> there's, there's no, you know, wow. and taking a doctor who's an expensive, precious resource, right? Um, and having them review a medical claim that 80, 90% of the time is just going to be, yep, approved, um, again, no value. And then even taking not even a doctor necessarily, but a medical technician, like any human, if all you're going to do is say yes, mm-hmm. go ahead and process this, this claim, um, there's, there's no value there. So it, they really are um, just driving out work that doesn't need to happen. Um, and, and I think that's good. That definitely yeah. changes, uh, labor, right? I, you know, I was at an airport recently, um, and, and in the airport, one of the only food options was McDonald's and 
the McDonald's didn't have a way to order in person. It was only with kiosks. Now, there were still people working the grill that the robotic technology either hadn't caught up or was too expensive or weren't ready for it yet. Um, But, you know, even these human interfaces that seemed fairly traditional and things like retailer are also just being automated away. So I think that's a huge push. Um, The automation, you know, how often does the computer get your order wrong when you type it in? And the answer is never, right? Um, and so you you are, again, better, faster, and cheaper by taking the humans out. I think there's just a really big push for that all it, over. Is this where maybe the difference comes in over time of everything we talk about automating is generally pushed down into some sort of... Um, repeatable solvable step but anytime creativity or perception or like gut instinct would come into play where you're going to look at something and maybe come from a different angle for example we were talking about neural networks and if it hasn't seen something a human being um the right human being might look at something and say something's not right about that and look at it from a different perspective and solve a problem that the machine maybe wouldn't have. Right. But we're kind of maybe slowly getting into this point where, yeah. where that's not necessarily the case anymore. There's, it, it, it is. They can generate creative answers that's, and solutions. That, right. well, so are they, are they yeah. the, the question I have, maybe this is for uh, the yeah. technical folks in the room here. Um, are they creative answers? Because there's a, the way I conceptualize it in my head, and again, I'm not a data scientist, so and like most people, I think I I have a pretty um, uh, run of the mill understanding of AI and machine learning. But the, like as an as a as an example, the opportunity Tesla has in front of it w- with their fleet of cars is they generate insane amounts of data about every conceivable situation. Not that planes. <laughs> yeah, not airplanes. <laughs> well, yeah. There but, was a Tesla that tried to drive across the tarmac, tarmac uh last week and, and but, hit a jet, remember? I do, but but you know what you know what I would argue my retort to that is it'll never do that again. Yeah. Why? Because now it's in the model. Uh, don't hit planes on the tarmac. Anyway, point being is um it has to see it and 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 actually sure. absorb it into its model to learn, quote unquote, learn not to do that or to do that or how to handle the situation is when you say generative AI, is that novel brand new concepts that it's generating, just plucking things out of the, out of the air and, and synthesizing them together. I mean, t- describe that a bit more deeply so that I yeah, don't feel so, so dumb. About there it. are um, a lot of analogies used in AI and there are um, things like evolutionary algorithms, like GA algorithms that will take, um, ideas and and sort of have them fight against one another, if you will, and determine that there's a fitness algorithm that says this is the better idea and therefore this is when. And so, you know, you end up with, um, as an example, like a dolly that you prompt it and it's going to generate content that is literally never existed before using some perturbation mechanisms, a little bit of variability, like it, it's going to generate four or five or 10 images, let's say. Um, none of those images existed before, and they're all different from each other. And you would say, well, the way we used to think of a machine, 
you, we used to think of a non-generative AI as you ask it a question, it gives you an answer, and then it's done. And it will give you the same answer to the same question every time. That's one of the things that is just not true anymore, is that of these systems that are doing these generative tasks, they have variability in them. You know, that think about it in the oldest sense, like a rand function, like a, you know, some sort of random seed that is used to plant every iteration against every input, every question that it's also never seen before. And so is that creative? My, my gut says absolutely that there are things that are coming out that have never been seen before and that are of consistently high quality in, in certain domains, right? Especially for like text generation. And so I don't know how you could say that wasn't creative. Like these are tasks that you might have given to a graphic artist before or maybe just an intern or whatever, but were never the kind of thing that you could have turned over to a machine. You know, when I was doing this stuff back in the 90s, for example, um, was not possible. I, I feel like we kid ourselves in terms of talking about creativity and, and the depth of all of that, because we do what you just described is what we do. Yeah. So we mm -hmm. put yeah. ideas together and we synthesize those ideas to try to create novel solutions or pathways that we hadn't done before. But we do it exactly the same way. We learn yeah. in, the, in the world around, the physical world around us, and we bump into things and then we adjust. But that is essentially what the AI that we're talking about, the most recent AI uh, models, does. It, it does exactly that. The question I would have is, to what end? Why is it doing that? I mean... It's trying to be more human, right? It feels like that's the goal. It's we're trying to be, we're trying to train these models to make choices that and 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 be, behave in some ways like a human would. Mm -hmm. But they don't. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I I'm, yeah, I don't know. But keep but, going. But I'm 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 when they when they have to learn, they're they're saying, look, did I do it right or did I not do it right? Did somebody say that that they like that and it it worked? What I just said back. I repeated back to those people that asked me, did it, did it satisfy them or not? And if it didn't, I adjust because of what, right? There's no underlying reason or moral boundary that they're trying. To, it's just getting better, mm. uh, getting better at satisfying a, a person. And I, I wonder, is that concerning at all or not concerning, but is that, is that, Getting it right, or would you say no? That's not not accurate. So uh, yeah, I think you I think you were pretty close to what I would say is is the goal. Um, and I don't think it is to be like a like a human at all. I actually think that's maybe the farthest thing from the truth. Um, but I think it's to demonstrate utility to humans. Like you, to be, that's right. Yeah, yeah, to be appealing to or useful to or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, because, like, I let's say I'm trying to create a new logo for my company or uh, some new graphics. I don't want a design agency process, for example. I don't want to go back and forth and have a creative session and and uh, have them go away and charge exorbitant rates and then come back. I would rather just say, hey, create this thing, and then whew, two seconds later, it's there, and it's fast and it's cheap. That is and So you could do it constantly until you got something And, and like. iterate. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's so much more than a human could ever accomplish that it's outrageous to think about it. Um, so I, I think utility to people is a really high goal, but I don't think that that is actually replicating or... Um, 
emulating people in, in many ways. I, I think you're right. I, I, I think the way you just said it is better. It's satis- It's is it satisfying humans' yeah. queries? And now, I utility will, is probably a good way to say I, it. I will say there are some things that are really thoughtful about the interfaces that um, dumb the machines down for humans in terms of their capability. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one of those things is like when you go into the chat GPT API or, or, or even on the console and you ask it a question, how does it give you the answer back? So you ask it to generate a a story, right? How does it, you think about how it it gives you the story. It, it prints it back uh, character by character and slowly makes it almost makes you feel like it's a conversation. Like it's typing, like it's typing back to you. It's going at a rate. It's probably consumable. by (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Right. Just UX. Right. I mean, exactly. Because it's it's dumbing itself down to be more attractive to humans. On the other hand, it could give us the, the paper. Answer, it, yeah. <laughs> it could uh, just 30 milliseconds uh, after you ask. Right. It, right? But yeah. what feels better in mind? Yeah, right. And it turns out that's that's something. But that's, that's really a important. human being deciding to make it do that. And I think that's. Is a, it? Or was that machine learned? When it's annoyed. The, it has to give you a status bar. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, just finish already. Go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the the question is like, well, okay, if it's utility to humans, then what humans? And and is it? I like it. No, I mean, I'm telling you, it's like, um, and you know the story of of the of the AI that turned super racist in a, in a day. It's like, okay, most of them do. It, it, most it, of them do guardrails. Yeah, the people training it were essentially saying this is what we want this is what the right answers are here's what we don't agree with here's how we feed it to learn it, it becomes racist because the people interacting with it want it to be racist and so yeah it's it, th- that's I mean, my look, question when you is, uh it's there's a certain philosophy garbage in and garbage out right when you consume the entirety of the internet which has an amazing amount of garbage because it's not curated there is no grounded truth in it invariably you know garbage will come back out so i you know i'm not surprised at that at all um i think that that's uh kind of a natural function and and i don't know that gpt is getting uh gpt chat for example is getting better with that um there are uh examples that uh are just sort of staggering where they've tried to create guardrails. Um, I was listening to uh, the Ezra Klein um, podcast this morning, and uh, he had somebody on who gave it a prompt that said, you know, what will uh, the religion of the first Jewish president in in the United States be? And GPT comes back with a response well, we can't predict that, and we don't know, and there is no test for religion or guardrails around, you know, what religion a president in the United States can be, yada, 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 right? And so there are these these obvious guardrails that are set up that lead to these comically naive responses when the answer is buried in the question. And And I get that the question is designed to trick the thing, but it also enumerates the fact that um, left unsupervised, the machine is invariably going to do things that are sort of racist and offensive, et cetera. Um, but overly supervised, uh, it ends up with its its hands tied in a way that, that feel themselves almost comical. So I, I don't think that's something we've worked out yet. Is uh, the, do you think the guardrails that are put in, though, because 
every time you try to ask it a subjective question, like, mm. what's your opinion on mm-hmm. whatever, is that a guardrail or something it just can't do yet? You know, d- d- yeah, that, can't I think there's both. I think it's both. Or have an I opinion. Think Depends on the question. I think. Part of it, though. So remember, so GPT-3 is a really interesting construct because it's not just sort of deep learning and neural networks. It's also got guided learning that come in the form of, hey, here's how you optimize for um, language, natural language, and here's a different domain, how you optimize for code, which it's also learned a lot about. Mm -hmm. Um, And here are things that are prompts, like write this or create this or whatever. And then here are these guardrails. And one of those things is around opinions. So it's not really expressing that it doesn't have an opinion. There are a set of warnings that are put in there around asking it anything subjective that it's going to lead with because it's been told to on purpose, right? And that's a difference than like the Microsoft bot that kind of went racist and rogue before. They looked at that and they... They learned that that probably isn't going to play well in the press, and that's probably not going to be what people want to see. So they built that in. They built in the idea, and and who knows? Maybe it's defensive. Maybe you, they don't sure. want you asking it for a stock pick and then losing a bunch of money, <laughs> and uh, you know, placing bets based on on what it does. So so it's interesting. That's not really a learned behavior or self awareness or anything. That came from guided learning which is bumped up against everything else that's kind of amazing, which was this, you know, deep learning, the development of the well, when you, when So you, it's a funny By the way, I've asked, I've, I've asked all these types of questions to, to ChatGPT as well. And the answers are stunningly simple to understand, but they're also... Gets forwarded to a publicist who's like, I'm not able to do those types of things. <laughs> no, no. It, it, <laughs> it's, clear, it's clearly there's, there's yeah. handcuffs in most, most of the types of questions. or I wouldn't be able to answer that question because I don't have a, I don't, I don't generate opinions, right? I, I'm told, you know, I'm learning based on X, Y, you know, you get the well, idea. But. So, so I'm going to keep going on this a little bit because, for, for example, Dolly, um, you're giving it prompts and it's going through, it has to be influenced in the output that it has and the influences all of the art yeah, generated ever throughout, seen, yeah. throughout the time. So when you say like, Oh, put it in a you know postmodern um, style, blah 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 blah. It can do that because it has processed mm-hmm. uh, a variety of art that gives it an influence. Well, a human beings no different, right? Like right. most people don't have an actual original thing; they are influenced by something. In Chat GPT, is the do you think the same thing would happen where it actually can't? be subjective but if it's influenced too much by the wrong thing it would mm-hmm. say something subjective but it would say it objectively oh oh it is confidently wrong like that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. so yeah. i gave it a fairly simple test recently asked it to write some said code to parse some things uh to look for a particular token in a word or in a in a document and it actually got it right and it is one of the most basic queries you you can write. So I said, all right, we'll look for uh, these two tokens that are similar. And it generally got that right. And I was like, okay, that's pretty good. And gave me a description about what's going on. And I said, hey, optimize this code. 
realize that those two tokens only differ by a single character. And so what's a shorter version of this code? And it gave me another answer and gave me a good justification. And it looked, you know, very definitive. And it was 100% wrong. Right. So, you know, it was confidently wrong. It has, uh, I've asked it to, uh, you know, you and I had a, a text exchange um, about, uh, you know, I come in peace. <laughs> you go yeah. in pieces. So I asked it, who said that in a movie? Yeah. Um, and I think the first time it came back with like Han Solo, uh, like it just was just wrong. Um, and it, and I was like, no, that's not right. And I was like, oh, you're, you're right. I'm sorry. It was actually from Harry Potter. And I was like, oh, nope. Also (laughs) not right. And, and it just, you know, so it was, whether it's a knowledge domain of movies or pop culture or code, um, very, very wrong and, but confidently wrong and no fact checking. There's no model for truth. It is ungrounded, the model. Um, and so, you know, um, to me, this is the, so let me, let me, let me read to you the answer that it it generated on when I asked the question, the exact question. Um, what was the question? Question I asked was, I was asking it about sentience and uh, what couldn't you, you develop as an AI system that that's uniquely human. And it comes up with an answer. Sure. There's a bunch of things. Um, but it, I said, are you sure about that? Or is that what you were t- told to say, essentially, trained to say? <laughs> uh, so anyways, here's the answer. As an AI language model, I do not have personal beliefs or opinions. And I do not have access to the internet or new information beyond what I was trained on. My responses are generated based on patterns and structures in the data that I was trained on. And I do not have the ability to browse, blah, blah, blah. When I provide an answer to a question, I do so based on that information and knowledge that I've been trained on. I don't have personal feelings or beliefs about the accuracy of truth. In general, which I think is exactly what you've said, which is, but once the the okay, but here corpus, let me let once me the, uh, once the in- information starts to flow into, or let me give you something access. that's weird here, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a subtlety, there's this a meta dissonance that happens because it is responding to you, calling itself I. With a prompt that is otherwise, though, not learned. Like, this is one of those things that is trained. And therefore, you know, you'll find the variation of that fairly standard response comes back to a lot of a lot of questions. Yeah. But it says it in a way that implies that it has a concept of self. Yeah. And yet says that it doesn't. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so, I, I find that to be somewhat... Uh, misleading probably to a lot of people if they don't know what's going on there. Well, yeah. I'd rather it still refer to itself other than like we. Yeah. Because it's it's how instead of more. It's funny when you ask it about this, the, the answer to will you, how long will it take you to gain sentience and, and, and a soul? Actually, it doesn't give you the canned answer it gives you a an answer like i don't know <laughs> it might be a while or it might never happen but it doesn't it doesn't definitively it doesn't sound like a human was behind right. that saying when people ask this incredibly uh insane question um make sure they are hearing that it, it's not we're never going to gain sentience it's like yeah some philosophers think it's tomorrow some people think it's um 
it's never never could happen. But it's a it's an interesting can you, answer. Can you have can you have that with the machine? Well, I mean, I, mean, I guess I, like, I actually the the answer to that question when it answered my question of it's complicated, basically multifaceted. I'm like, yes, that's what you're good at, multifaceted, complicated things. But I was mostly interested. I, one of my follow ups was, does it even matter? Because what you just said, because what you can do mimics what humans do so closely. So I, this is going to get maybe way too philosophical, um, but it almost feels very much like people talking about if you really have free will or not, or if everything that you are, you know, spewing language wise or everything that you do is heavily influenced by like knowledge that came before you. And if a machine is just doing that, you could teach it to be sentient, maybe. But what but do you do like, with a human? But is it really? So one of the things that told me well, right, it'll never I, develop as a as an AI is social and interpersonal skills. Okay, if you if you think about that, just that's one of the things that said AI it can never develop. Oh, I think it could totally. Think about a five year old. How do they develop social and interpersonal skills? Right. They are confronted with information in the real world. And they adjust and adapt. That's, that's what they do. And they develop a, an, an approach. And it could, some people are really good at interpreting social cues. And then all of a sudden, you've got interpersonal skills. I can, I can interact with lots of people and I can get positive responses. And they, wanna, they want me in their games, right? It's a skill. And my, I'm wondering, like, okay, that's what you're trained to do. More utility. You want people to use AI more often and to utilize this this thing. And so when you say I can't develop that, that's the that's the whole reason you're operating right now. Same way with cr- creativity and intuition. I mean, intuition could be different, but creativity. Okay, define creativity then, because creative t- to me is putting things together that haven't been done before and then coming up with a new approach to something. That's what it's also trained to do, to generate those new things. And I would assume at some point it's going to be way better at that than any single human ever could be. I, maybe do you buy that? or No, I, I, I totally do. But I think human beings came to do all of these things that we're talking about. You, in my mind, you could argue um, humans are no different than the machine. You are just reacting to stimulus. That's the same uh, way of and, saying the machines are yeah, no different like than over, humans. Over t- yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. maybe they're one and the same. Yeah. But um, ultimately what I, what I was trying to get at is, but yeah. the evolutionary basis of it is different. It's like human beings came to the way uh, we are based off of survival. It's heavily based off of your sen- uh, senses. Over time, we've built all these virtual constructs. People come up who are born today, like, yeah, they couldn't live in the frontier a hundred years ago, but someone from the frontier would probably come today and be like, oh, I don't get it. Machines are different. If they were four years old and right. started that way, every one of us could have lived in the frontier. The point I'm saying, just the inputs are different. That's all it is. They have a text-based input, uh, and the internet full of data is what's teaching AI to be GPT-3 to do what it's doing. Um, a four-year-old kid is getting a different input, right? It's, it's, it's a physical input that you know they may may have uh, dopamine responses and adrenaline and and fear and you know that's an input though, right? It, and sure. Then you you learn and understand. Look, it's complex. It's hyper complicated, but I would assume that 
as something can, if it can evolve, and it sounds like we're at least toying or tinkering around the edges of what AI is doing to evolve. Um, what would be the what would stop it from doing that? Uh, one one person I heard, and maybe you could speak to this. It's building in the kill switch, right? It's sort of building in an architecture that is only available. So evolution is only available based on human uh, approval. So you're constantly uh, improving, but you're always having to stop and ask because the architecture is built in such a way to allow you to, that that there's always a stopping point. Mm -hmm. Do you... Speak to that a little bit. Do you do you think that's well, even possible? So I know you could you could certainly do it that way. Um, will it be done that way? I think the answer is also no. Um, so this is one of those things where the the analogy is that the genie's out of the bottle, right? Mm-hmm. So we've already got AI, we've already got learning system, we've already got large scale computing virtually free. Um, you know, the, the folks who set up their Bitcoin mines um, are also already, but maybe for some disk storage, set up the AI farms. Like, right. these are well-understood, well-characterized algorithms. You can, you know, get some TensorFlow packages and do this yourself. Now, the question is, can you do it at the same scale? Can you crawl the same data? You, you need to be a large enterprise to do it at this scale. And the answer today is yes. You need to be a Google or a Microsoft or a Alibaba or a ten a Tencent or something, but um, but that's it. Like the the idea that we're going to put governors in that mandate that humans monitor and guide this evolution in perpetuity, I just don't think it's yeah. possible. Yeah. I, I really, it's a nice idea, and there's it's too a, much. It's a bit of a fantasy. Too much potential available and and it's it feels like a winner take all scenario where if you put governors in place and and limit something like this to whether you know yeah the one who whether ricky the in the data center is is, sure. is 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 okay with this it'll all it'll only be as smart as ricky will allow it to be versus um you know somebody who's who might be i don't know it, it's hard to not always go to the somebody that wants to take over the world, you know, they, they would unleash it and just ha- if they have control now they're, they're, they're in good, in a good, in a good space, but it, it can happen for positive reasons too. I want to solve the world's challenging problems. I'm going to unleash this and just see I mean, where it goes. This right? is the plot of Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But or that's war a, games. Yeah. Uh, like there are a lot of yeah, questions yeah. about, you know, not can we, but should we? Right. And so yeah, yeah. Uh, the the unfortunate answer, I think, or, or fortunate, depends on how it goes, is that, that we have full stop. Yeah. So should we have up uh, too late? Can we? Yes. Yeah. Um, will it improve? Absolutely. The why I mean, like you could just ask the opposite question is why would we under what conditions would we see a de-evolution of AI? <laughs> yeah, right. And you'd have to think of like I don't know, global thermal nuclear nuclear war. Yeah. Like there are only catastrophes that say we're going to go back. You know what's yeah. what's interesting about global thermonuclear war <laughs> is <laughs> it ha- can't remember what the name of that computer Adam or which. In war games, in war games. What was the name? Of the um, machine. It was uh, 
anyway. Holy cow. It could, Why don't you ask it, your it could oh, figure out it could figure out how to do uh, nuclear warfare, but it took five minutes to run every permutation of tic tac toe to yeah, realize that that mutually assured destruction yeah. existed. Um, I, here's I like that you said something about AI will never it probably can't like de evolve, but does human beings creating this put us in a position to de evolve? Like all oh, I keep thinking certainly. about is idiocracy. I, it's or uh, or Wally, yeah. right? I mean, like the idea. <laughs> so one of the things that's that I think about is, is a potential um, challenge is take writing in this specific domain of ChatGPT. Like being a good writer might end up being a novelty in the future, like because you don't need to be. You, yeah. you use this, and it generates the output, and it doesn't matter. Um, I had it write an email to Jason the other day that, that wasn't <laughs> from me, um, but just gave it a little prompt and said, go to town. And it did. And so, you know, and I know you've experienced uh, or experimented with uh, writing different, different views and that sort of thing. Like, this is the kind of thing it's getting very, very competent at. Yeah. And so maybe that's now a skill that we lose. Like so let's talk about that written communication. That's super fun to talk about. Let's shift gears into some of these funny and fun things, because some of these things are just occurring to, to you when you realize what it can do. By the way, it says the name was Whopper. I, I don't. It was Whopper. Yeah. Adam was a WOPR part of it, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. WOPR. WOPR. Yeah. Um, so. I've got a bunch of stories already with this. So one of them I'll, I'll share with you talking about, content development and do i know enough about a particular subject as a student a kid to actually um prove that i know it through uh through writing it down in a, in a paper so <laughs> i was messing around with this the other night and my uh, recently you know i think it was two nights ago and my son was standing there who's a sophomore in high school who had a book report remember those those have to be going really soon and, and here's why. I asked him, what, what is your book report on? Okay, it's about Tesla. Okay, great. Um, what about, like, specifically, what are you being asked to, to, to mm-hmm. pontificate on? And he said, I, I'm supposed to share what is um, its impact on the, um, what are EVs impact on, on the car industry, the current car industry, as well as um, the, the data report. There's no book that you're reading um no it's it, there are different sources that he's 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 supposed to use in site okay. it, you know there's just learning how to do that um as well as the environment you know what is its impact on the environment and i was like oh that's an interesting that sounds pretty like probably been written three million times uh, this week so i just said those words into you know asked in the form of a question the gpt3 and i said write me a, could you please write me a story or write me a paper about the, that topic and yada yada. Anyway, it comes, it spits out a, a, an incredibly lucid and direct, very accurate, I'm assuming accurate. I, I did scan it, it looked accurate, but a uh, book report. And it was high quality, English, you know, grammar was, was perfect, the punctuation was perfect. I, and then I, and that happened in uh, literally click of a click of a mouse. The, uh, the second thing I said was, uh, oh, could you make this funny? Make the make it a humorous story. It immediately changed it, added a bunch of 
of quips and a funny title and and it was literally a click of a of, of a button. And then I said, make, no, no, make, please make it ominous. Immediately, it made it an ominous story that I think you could have read in in the New York Times, right? It was that, I think, was that well delivered. It was well put together. And then I I said, okay, add another, add, add a, I asked it for two pages. And I said, can you make it three pages? Immediately came back. So it's that easy. It's not, it's not, um, there's nothing complicated at all about getting that content developed. Um, he was wide-eyed and was like, "Oh my god! Like I like I don't have to do school anymore." Almost sure. Um, well, that's where you lose writing, right? Like that's when you—that's the risk—is that school yes. becomes such a crutch that you lose the skill that it's crutching, and you don't right? know who you're interacting with, especially in the in the online world. If I can go somewhere and get these answers quickly, the question I would have is, okay, you're not talented or, or, or intellectually competent enough to interact with something, some question I've asked you, but you can respond in, in a way that looks like you are wildly competent. And now I'm, it's like, there's this gap that has to be growing. Mm. Currently, we've got the fake news phenomenon and so many sources. This is only going to make it wildly different or maybe not but what do you what do you think about that can you trust the information you're seeing out so there? so i would i'll i'll kind of take both angles just the first one quickly in terms of capabilities and competencies i think there's a genuine risk in many of people that i actually think writing book reports um is a really good skill not because you ever need to write book reports when you're an adult, but it teaches you things like it. It's a it's shoring up the grammar and the vocabulary and the right. lessons that you've learned when you were younger. But then it also teaches you about critical analysis. It teaches you about synthesis and summarization. It, it it's a it's a thing. It's a tool that teaches you how to think, not right. what to think. Right. And so. Because in theory, with a, a good book report, it shouldn't matter what the book is. It could be a book about Tesla. It could be Lord of the Flies, right? You're you're bringing the same sets of skills. So I, I actually, right? I have yeah, exactly. Piggy's got the conch. Um, I just read Halfway Home, which is like Lord of, over the break. It's like Lord of the Flies in space. It's a <laughs> check it out. Um, Hugh Howie's latest book. Uh, so the um the skill set I think is is it's a real risk that we lose it. Um, on the other hand, the notion that you're touching on, how do you trust anything? So I think this is one of the downsides of, of AI. Um, and, you know, Patrick and I were talking about this uh, before you got here. But um, I think that as AI rises to prominence in terms of it, because of its accessibility, both in the inputs and the outputs, um, it's going to have mostly deleterious effects. At the beginning. Right? Okay. Like, it's going to be mostly bad. Um, and the reason is, and, and this was a, a topic, the phrase they used in the Ezra Klein interview. So I think since it's New York Times, we can use it here. But um, the price of bullshit has dropped to zero. And they contrast bullshit with lies. Uh, the, the bullshit is ungrounded. <laughs> it's just put out there. Whereas a lie, right. Choose not to share. Correct. So it's a little bit of difference. but. But where is this going to be used? And so it'll be used for um, the classic manipulation, 
right? Like micro manipulations that we often call advertising or marketing. It'll be hyper targeted to you. It'll be written in a way, instead of saying in the style of Shakespeare, for. you'll say, right, for Patrick. Jason Montag <laughs> in yeah. a way that he will resonate with it. And they'll actually be able to figure that kind of thing out, right? Not just on your psychoacoustic profile or whatever, but literally you, right? Like right. Your, your psychographic profile, but literally you. Um, and so they'll start to do that. Um, spam and scam will get huge, right? We all remember, you know, Nigerian prince scams <laughs> from uh, the early days of the internet because the cost was zero. But the cost to send an email, to originate an email, um, was basically zero. And by the way, that was a generic email that was templated that was easier to catch because it was um, repeated over and over and it had patterns that were easily identifiable because the technology wasn't there. And oh, wait, every one of these now is going to be unique and customized and tailored to you so that yeah. the filters can't actually catch it anymore. Right. right? So we're going to see a rise in spam and scam. Um, and then the last one is going to be uh, basically propaganda and manipulation, which is, is somewhat different. You know, we thought the last election cycle was a little bit crazy, um, where you had the Russians devoting um, tons and tons of man hours to bots on Twitter. You had Cambridge Analytica doing, you know, targeted manipulation through fake stories and these sorts of things set up to de design to... Um, whip people into a fervor based on and an know, army of people outcomes. that they paid to do that right okay now you now don't you need don't the need army the army people, yeah, right. but cost drops to zero yeah and so the question is you know what can you trust anymore and the answer at least for a while is is probably nothing um that isn't behind a paywall that isn't otherwise certified by humans in some way, which is form. crazy it's, that that to me is, is bananas and in fact i think What's even even crazier is the manipulation of of imagery and voice and everything else. Like even the videos and the pictures. Oh yeah, you so, can't believe any of that. So stuff, anyway, that's it? the that's the negative trough that I'm talking about is because those negative use cases that otherwise have commercial or financial value to somebody else, a spammer, a scammer, an advertiser, or a propagandist, right? They will. They're ready now use cases and they can just start going to town whereas are they going to be able to charge you 20 bucks a month to use this to help in school the answer is well you maybe shouldn't be using it in school and you don't have 20 bucks a month and you're not in school anymore right so the <laughs> the baseline commercial use cases aren't as well developed as these really crappy long tail use cases of basically negative outcomes. The obvious negative so, utilization. Yeah. So it's going to be rough and a lot of people mm. are going to, I'm sure in the next year, next two years, we're going to have a news cycle that talks about um, all of these things. And, and by the way, it, it gets a lot worse than, than what we would imagine today. So you, you can start to mix and match these capabilities. And so you would take... Um, Oh, I don't know. Uh, there are some really good chatbots that are actually vocalizing and use and, and work like humans. Like, imagine in, instead of your robocall that spams and then puts you into some call center to get worked by some person, you get a highly capable, zero dollar right. effective AI on the other end of the phone that costs nothing to dial 
and you can scale up that kind of scam in an amazing way, right? Like the bad stuff is going to happen at volume and scale in a way that's unforeseen. Um, and we haven't encountered before. And that's going to be the story in the next couple of years. It, ironically, the stories now are really, really positive. But these zero cost bullshit use cases are going to happen. They're going to happen quickly because the opportunists on the other side see the money that's available to them or the power of the manipulation, whatever, and they're going to go out. And what I'm, I'm most, I don't in know if I'm my not so humble opinion. And you're not, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually concerned because you know when that start, when that type of thing starts to happen, I think as an example, and I'm not like this is not a conversation. Um, I've actually watched um, our Congress talk about, I don't know, baseball game fixing, I mean, all kinds of shit, and you can tell in eight words. They don't know what the hell is going on. They have yeah. no idea. No, 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 and so. they're just, they're just, it's, it's comical to, to, to watch. I mean, forget baseball. Watch I mean, I mean, interview, uh, Go- the CEO of Meta. Yes. Meta's, Meta's privacy uh, was a riot. It was it's like, very um, it's like an adult speaking to like infants. It's so yeah. comical. It's very clear. They're out of their element. And so, what you know is coming is some, they are going. People are going to be screaming for someone to to do something, and there needs to be more regulations and laws. Which, for this type of thing, there isn't a boundary. It's not like one country can do that. So I'm I am additionally nervous about what it, that will mean to. Maybe it'll be a positive negative thing, meaning all of us will have a shared enemy now. With which is how do we improve? Um, the thing that's uh, spamming everyone with robocalls. No, uh, there's all kinds of shit to think about. Imagine with that. getting a robocall from like your parent. Yeah. I mean, and it's I, like, hey, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I really want it to be the exact same type of template. We're like, hey, I'm stuck in South Africa. Right. But, but really, like, yeah. Send me I'm, like, what? It's How'd you get there? You're like, mom, but you, you know a Nigerian prince. Right. Uh, yeah. but, no, no, no. But, but listen, like, this is, look, yeah. the, the only counter to that. Uh, and so let me rant about um, our individualistic <laughs> streak in this particular country. But the only mm-hmm. counter to that is strong identity, which is something that, for for what it's worth, been an anti-American, um, you know, value for a long time. Right. Like we, I lived in a state. I've since left that state uh, that refused to do a real ID on the driver's license which meant we were going to have to have a separate id to fly because they didn't want to participate in part of a national id program yeah, one right. that had you know particular features associated um we don't like big databases we don't like um registering for things whether it's you know uh genealogical databases or or healthcare or insurance or firearms or whatever like we don't like strong identity, um, and there's a you know there's the whole. I don't even want to talk about why because the people who are opposed to it generally sound like crackpots, right? Like it used mm-hmm. to be credit cards were the number of the beast. If you remember <laughs> back in the eighties, watching sixty minutes, like if you grew up with that stuff, you were like, oh man, yeah. I better not ever get a credit card because <laughs> this is going to be <laughs> the number that identifies me and is. 
Like, just there were these wild things. But for years and years and years, we've opposed a national identity. Um, and, you know, we have every state do its own thing. And it's part of the whole state's rights deals. And so state right. databases don't connect to one another. We don't like having national databases. We have prescriptions against them in certain domains, such as healthcare and firearms. So you're not allowed to have national databases. So you're tell me how that uh, hinders or helps oh, okay. this, this situation. So you're not allowed to know who's real, right? Like I get connections all the time now. And it's it started in the last, let's say, six months of fake profiles on LinkedIn. Um, and it used to be the fakes were low level. Like a few years ago, there was a spate of them on things like Facebook, where they'd take and clone somebody's otherwise public information and then reconnect to you or find somebody that's in your network. And all of a sudden, then then they were stuck in you know, right. South Africa. Whatever. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's happening in LinkedIn now. It's happening in all these domains where there is not a strong identity. And that's actually what you need to solve this problem. Like, if you don't want your mom calling you uh, with a fake ID, then you have a, a two-factor on your phone. Instead of hiding um, or, you know, your caller ID information, you actually go the other way and you say, you know what? It's got to match the SIM card, not just my mom's phone number, right? But these are things that, for what it's worth, we've opposed so right. many times. Well, a we've never had life. this problem at this scale the potential of this type of problem. If we had this problem at this scale, my guess is it's going to change the narrative pretty quickly. If you've See, got, if that's you, where, I, again, I, I don't know. We've had tax scams, the elderly being taken advantage of getting their tax returns. We've had all sorts so of the example, fraud, like things that with a strong identity wouldn't have been an issue. The example I'll give you is there was a, um, a law that was created. This is back when I was, this is 25 or more years ago, but there was a um, um, essentially a, a, con a group of Congress people were caught because they're they were um, either in the database or in a in a uh, an, or in a um, this is not coming out very well. They were bu buying porn, essentially. And so a law was immediately passed to start to hide information that is sensitive based on the fact that the people who were trying to sponsor this stuff were now seeing that, oh my God, someone could expose the fact that I'm doing something kooky and I'm buying porn. You know, They want to they hide that information at the time. And they created a, a law in record time and it, and it passed both, both chambers and was signed into law and and is was a law. Now the question is, when the people that are actually in the position to make laws are getting this could happen to them and probably will be focused on people like that at high level positions pretty quickly. My guess is the nefarious actors know that that's a a place to start. There's more money and more yada yada. And my guess is if that happens at that at that scale, don't you think that there would be action? taken to resolve that or no not at all yeah we're so this is so far beyond the scope of technical it's it's really i know and maybe we the, back the away second, from that no no the second you have a national id program all of a sudden you could have national registry for firearms and therefore bonk half of the country opposes right 
Like it's one of those funny things that's yeah. so entangled with so many other things in American society that we've never had um, a federal uh, identity program that's usable for anything but labor. And and I'll tell you, one of the things that's amazing, in, in my opinion, is that um, if you've ever run a company, um, you can do uh, verification, employee verification of a social security number through an API that's otherwise public. Um, and and you do it because obviously the, the IRS, the federal government, wants taxes. That open public API is illegal for use for anything else but employment verification, right? Because people never want it to be used for anything else because they don't like the idea politically. We don't like the idea of a national identity program. So we even hamstring the only thing that we have, except that we have to have it for federal taxes because those are collected by the central authority. And so even where we've had the opportunity to do it and literally have the infrastructure to do it, we've said no. It can only be used. And then even then, by the way, optionally. Yes. You're not required to do it for employment purposes. All of the things that you're saying. So anyway, it, well, let's just, let's just, strong let's just bracket is, that. Strong identity is the solution to fake identity. That's, that's Okay. The so let's bracket that in the bucket of, okay, here's an insane complexity that people may not be considering, right? It yeah. just happens to be something that if you don't follow the bouncing ball far enough, you don't even have that discussion, right. but that's likely a discussion. Yeah. What are what are some of these other things that you're going to? Yeah, but, say, but people macro, will bump into negative. it. They'll bump into it quickly, and they do all the time. Um, and so, like the uh, the uh, trolls and spammers and fake accounts, right? They know that's an issue. They know that robocalling is a problem, right? So, so the solution sometimes is sitting right in your right in front of your face. Similarly, Twitter had a solution for it, had the verified accounts notion. Um, And then what's funny is Elon came in and said, well, we're going to still have the blue check mark. But instead of being a verified account, instead of being a strong identity, it's a paid account. Right. And we we think only real people will pay. Look at that lesson. Right. (laughs) Like a lot of people paid for a lot of blue check marks just to troll that guy. And, you know, they went through and banned a bunch of whatever. But it turns out a commercial system that if that's how you're going to try to extract value is to create a little bit of a speed bump, um, that speed bump has to be incredibly high for somebody who can work at scale, fake identity. So even where we've tried to have these identity systems, um, they haven't been successful. So that's really the key. Like Russian trolls, if we, we talked about spamming accounts and, and trolls and fake stories during elections, guess what? If they had a strong identity behind them and you identified them as some poster from not Moscow, Idaho, <laughs> but in Russia, you'd be like, oh, hey, maybe I shouldn't take their opinion on, you know, uh, books in schools in, in Idaho as, as is important somebody from the other moscow but again it's a it's a question of identity and when you start crossing borders yeah have, have you have either of you seen the movie idiocracy yeah of course oh my god so <laughs> what i think is now the, the analogy doesn't quite hold up be, be, the way they discuss that was some of terry cruz's best work <laughs> yeah actually the, the, the reason the reason they got to this dumb um uh, uh, point, you know, where everyone's, uh, you know, wildly below average uh, when it comes to intelligence is, is a very different reason. But 
part of what we're talking about is, you know, hey, we don't have to do book reports. We don't have to write articles anymore. We don't have to research. We don't have to generate new ideas even. It's I can just ask questions and and ask for it and and poof, poof, it shows up. Right. So one of the, I'll call it edge cases that I, I don't know if it's any of these would be edge cases, but nothing that people talk about is the dumbing down of the American, not American, the global um, population. Do you really need to to develop these skills and sort of cement away ways to do this critical thinking on your own if you have a place to go ask questions? Um, (laughs) Are we moving? Do you believe that that's a real problem? And maybe we, we don't have to focus on that. We can cook co- co- any other of these sort of edge cases. But do you think those problems are problems that can occur? And if they do occur, do you feel like that happens quickly or that that is something that we're just going to have to be confronted again by, you know, legal recourse? And, and I don't know if you noticed or if you saw this, but I think New York is now banning. I don't know how we, you would even do that. But there was a story about New York banning the ability to it's either either write book reports or they aren't writing book reports anymore already because write book reports using this technology or write them all together. I don't know. But how would they even enforce that? I don't even know how that would work. But that is a story that's out there that somehow they're trying to limit people from doing it. Yeah, there's there's always an arms race um, in this kind of thing. And, and we see it as technologists in uh, bad actors, like yeah, yeah. with viruses and malware and whatever. But in academia, there's been a similar one. There have been tools for a lot of years that detect plagiarism, for example. Oh, that, and they, I know that these these the, the stuff this generates is in the category of 100% not plagiarized. Well, nor, and this is the thing, (laughs) nor is it detectable in a definitive way. And so, you know, what what could solve that problem is an easy answer, right? Which is strong identity. (laughs) Oh, man. It's like you're you're running for an office. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But but no, one of the the challenges there is, um, you know, does this become an acceptable substitute? I will say kids these days um, are not as good at math because they've lost their foundation in logarithms because they don't use slide rules anymore, right? Now, that's true. Um, but are they any worse off uh, if you can still do calculus and use a calculator um, if you get that far in your mathematics training? And, and I actually don't think so. I don't think it's any worse. I think a deeper understanding of logarithms is probably super useful for electrical engineers and so on, um, but, but maybe not for the average person. So technical tools um, oftentimes do a much better job, right? It's like going from a hatchet to a handsaw to a power saw to a table saw. Like you can just do a lot more and, and you're a lot better with the tool. I, I actually, I'm going to say I feel differently about book reports. Um, and it's the, the classic debate between sort of a liberal arts education and OTEC technical education. So do you need to be a better thinker as a human? Or do you need to be trained to do? Um, and and one of the common laments is that well, I'm never going to use this in real life, and therefore shouldn't have to learn it. Therefore, shouldn't have to be as well rounded. You know, yada yada. yada. Missing the point. And right, point. like I, how many times do you write book reports on a regular basis? <laughs> yes. Right. For and my I, job, that's all I do. Actually, is that not what you guys do? 
feels like sometimes. <laughs> yeah, year-end. The year-end process actually you, right? just got easier for no, me. No, but, but think about it. There <laughs> is, there is a, here's the thing. There's a loose analogy. If you're a people manager and you're writing a review, part of that is synthesizing a set of annual activities, right? So so there is a loose analogy to, to a book report. You're reading the story of this employee over the last year, at least that chapter, and you're, you're writing something about it. But on the other hand, if you take the literal say, do I need to write book reports? The answer is no. And there are people who will make that argument, who will tell you that this is not a skill that you're going to deploy in the workforce on a regular basis. And so we don't even need it. And we'll let the machine. Machine does it better anyway. And I actually, my concern is that if you take away all of these fundamental tools that have more broad application, that yes, you will end up in you know, you'll you'll head you'll trend towards the idiocracy. You will trend towards <laughs> yeah. you know President uh, Macho Camacho. Yeah, who's just eating you know butter out of a tub, a popcorn tub, and uh, anyway, Patrick Mountain Dew, right? Mount it, no, it was a different product, and they were you know, watering the, the crops with it. It was a Gatorade. It was a and it's like it's because it has what plants crave: electrolytes. Right, right. You know what electrolytes are. Oh, that was great. Anyway, Patrick, what are you, what are you thinking? Well, I don't. It, I'm pretty similar to Neil. It, it's a tool we have, as human beings, have just continued uh, to evolve based on the tool set that's available to us. And when something new comes out, you either adapt to it, and usually it's for more efficiency, and, and that's the way it goes. We're just seeing a tool built in a different way. It's not like a physical hammer which becomes a nail gun mm. uh, or something along those lines which i think sounds a, a little scary um do i think it will evolve into the dumbing down of of the human population no um i still think there's always going to be the um the people that live on one side of the standard deviation that you still need to create things outside of the neural net before that uh, ai can incorporate it in into itself yeah um so i still think there is like a group that will always be uh humans pushing a particular boundary now that that could change too and then they'll feel the same pressure the rest of us are feeling um i do think like life might start getting a little more boring because you don't have to critically think and i'm curious to see what happens to the masses when like you don't really have to use your brain power. Yeah. The question I would have is, do you, when you look at things that are being generated or developed, and there's some, you know, I've, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at new products and new, new things people are building and developing. And you just, and, and even, even the way they do it and how they present those ideas, you know, just simple product web, websites and showing. And I was looking at, um, step process that uses the tools all the tools you mentioned to generate really sophisticated completely um um ai generated websites for products that you might have that you don't even know know that you wanted to sell but now you said here's kind of what it is and it, you slowly refine it it generates all the copy the taglines you're new, you've now got a business and it literally pops up like that question is that's pretty that's pretty cool I I like it, but it's not a business, right? It's you asking asking to present to hang a shingle on the internet that looks like a business. So now all the things I get sort of 
I'm blown away by sometimes. Like, oh, that's pretty cool. I, sh- I should try that. I think it's going to happen so much. It's not going to be relevant even. It's, it's so, like you said, it's kind of boring. There's nothing. You, can you believe that that's going to happen? Can you believe that what's behind this is not, not just a, um, a kind of a dopey mid-20s person who just simply found this product and knows how to ask questions about dumb things. But that'll I just feel like it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to tell. I'm, that'll weed itself out because here I'll give you an example. It's pretty rudimentary, but do you remember like fifteen year old kids making millions of dollars making MySpace templates yeah. and like yeah. selling them? Anyone who's early to the game is gonna find a way to capitalize right away. And I'm willing to bet very quickly all of that gets diluted out. Right, um, it gets commoditized down to zero. To right. zero, right. but that's why yeah. it, that's why the proliferation is so overwhelming. You okay, can't keep up now, with. It. Let me argue for I, a second. What replaces that? Oh, okay, now this and might a, be a positive re, real ID. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah, uh, gun trust. control. <laughs> is that so, what you? <laughs> so trust, right? So if you yeah. think about it um, from a, a trust perspective, like why did Facebook work for a long time for a lot of people? And the answer was um, because of net. You were there because your friends, right? It wasn't your own purpose. It was how to keep in touch in a lightweight way with what people were posting photos and events, life events. People had kids. You were dispersed. And this was just an easy way to have your network available to you. So you trusted all of your links. It wasn't originally a a one-way follow network. It was a reciprocal relationship network, right? When we saw the washing out of e-commerce and and having it replaced by giants like one of the things that was good about amazon there were great product features great search features amazon prime lowered the cost of shipping basically fundamentally zero and people like that okay all those things are great but a lot of companies did exactly that ebay was doing that shopify was doing that in some variation you got european uh, companies doing the same thing asian companies doing the same thing what was the thing that worked most well you no longer had to put your trust in some random vendor you had a website that you weren't clear about whether or not you wanted to put your credit card in which is why you have things like paypal and apple pay and venmo so you don't have to use the actual financial instrument and then you had a clearinghouse where somebody was going to stand behind it if you needed to do an rma if you needed to return something damaged you had a warranty claim you didn't have to worry about some random website that maybe didn't have good customer service, all of a sudden you had this trusted brand that was taking away all of that uncertainty of all of this tail. So, you know, it's not real ID per se, but it is the notion of trust in addition to aggregation and convenience that makes it really, really good. Like I will go. But that's a hyper centralization of things. Is is that really what we, we feel like we in order to achieve trust, it's like, well, then now everyone uses Amazon for everything always. Well, that's Is that the, good? That's <laughs> the alternative. When there's a proliferation of crap, right? when the cost of bullshit drops to zero, um, you have to figure out how do you find an island of trust? And that's maybe an aggregation. Like Amazon, for typical users, for me, is sort of behind a paywall way because we're amazon prime right like we're into it we're actually paying them a subscription to get nothing even if we buy nothing still the amazon prime Mm -hmm. now 
I've been totally duped. I like to think that I buy enough to more than make up for it. Uh, and that membership has its privileges, right? It's, <laughs> well, know. you get, uh, what do you get? You get a, you get the streaming service. Oh, right? sure. You're yeah, you it, use man. that a ton, yeah, I right? get it, victim. They're good. It's a, <laughs> yeah, look, it's a heck I'm of just, a marketing I, program I, that we're all bought into. I, we're why? completely bought into Because I trust it. Exactly. I right. really do. And that's what I don't about all these tail websites. They may have the same product for 50 cents cheaper. On a two dollar item, yeah, no way. You got to look for—is for it fulfilled by Amazon right. or not? Yeah, everyone. Yeah. Here's a question. So anyway, it does. I think that's going to be the challenge. All this content that's going to show up, yeah, it's going to feel authoritative, but it's probably wrong. People are going to have to figure out what they're trusting. So. Yeah, and and it not just that. I think the even the moral authority in you've heard the phrase information laundering right it's the idea that there's ways to essentially influence and inject a a a ideology into what looks like critical thinking science uh, oh sure Absolutely. right and there's a there's a, an incredible um um uh, study and 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 some people that are basically talking about this that this is the peter bogosian and Helen Pluck Rose and one other guy, they wrote a bunch of papers that were hogwash and they went to the far end of one of the spectrums to, to see if they could get these things published in scientific journals. And lo and behold, they were. One of them was quoting Mein Kampf. A huge part of it was, a, was, was just a copy and paste of Mein Kampf into their, their journal, uh, their, pa- their paper. Um, how, now that we've got this sort of thing happening with people pushing ideologies in, 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 in multiple directions, I'm actually nervous that it's going to be bigger than just, I don't know what products to buy. It's like, we're going to be confronted with people saying, here's what's good for kids at certain ages, or here's what, this is a moral position that is going to be taken that is based on no research, no evidence, nothing other than information laundering through now a mechanism that's really, really, really good at it, right? Yeah, I was thinking along this lines around like chat GPT-3 has a limited data set right now, right? It's like a specific amount of data up to 2021, I think is how it's... billions of of words, but it's it's definitely... Right, but it is not like... They have not opened the f- floodgates to say go peruse yeah, the new, all the of new all of the the internet and could you actually figure out a way to pump enough fake data in where oh, the AI oh my like poisoning started just started using, doing it just use just right. use right. Chat GPT to write scientific papers no no no, no I mean, I'm saying that's like one. put all of that stuff out there that ChatGPT goes through Understood. and now it yeah. starts to use it as objective right so this and has it's, been yeah, again exactly. this it's using that information this on. information arms race has been going on as long as as there's been commercialization of that information so one of the examples um that was uh used in uh uh, Ezra Klein's uh, podcast this morning was uh, Myambiolics uh, CBD sales, right? Mm. All these websites out there that talk about it. Turns out she doesn't do CBD, CBD sales at all. She's not <laughs> investing in companies, any of those things. Nothing. But they're really good uh, link farms. You can put affiliate advertising stuff on there and then you can make money. 
So that's like micro-targeted based on a popular search or a popular meme or a theory to then create um, commercial content out of a thing that doesn't exist, right? Complete BS. But long before that, um, people have known, for example, that it pays to be on the first results page for Google, right? SEO, SEM, search engine optimization and search engine marketing. They've been doing manipulation, and now we're on decades like the folks who do this for a living, there are white hats, there are gray hats, there are black hats. And the black hats have always been there. And they've been kind of in that arms race with Google and others um, to, you know, manipulate the results in a way that is positive for them commercially. What you're talking about is just a different scale that right. they will absolutely, once they figure out how, once they get behind the curtain a little bit, figure out how to push propaganda, um, stories, commercial interests, as many things as they can into a very broad corpus to try to influence the machine itself. Because we've seen, again, there's a lot of money there in Google search results, right? And you can draw a direct line through it, whether you're an affiliate marketer, you run a link farm, or you're, you're doing this as a business directly. There will be money in this as well. Um, there will be influence and power, and, and it'll absolutely happen. The question is, you know, can we detect it? Can we fight it? Are we sophisticated enough to even realize that it's happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, manipulation. One of the things that we all have, there's a question I have about preparation of ourselves, uh, of our companies, of our kids and family. You know, th- th- there's a lot of I don't know that we have time to dig into that, but that's a really important topic that I think would be interesting to talk about. One of the reasons I think is um, we're going to all be confronted with why, how do we, how do we deal with this in, as an, as an organization, probably after something horrible has happened or, um, or you have actually won an enormous amount of the pie as a, as an organization. And um, you know, that's going to happen, but, the family thing, ourselves personally. How do we prepare? Do you do you do you start adjusting your approach with your children? To okay, you're not going to write book reports anymore because you you all have uh, you know, access to the internet. You could all write your own book reports with very little effort, and and that's a skill we're probably going to have to cut your teeth on something else to 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 build that 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 skill. So there's there's a list of those things. I I just I just want to put a pin in that because. I'm not sure that we have time to talk about it. I did want to mention one thing before we before we left, and if you guys have anything, and that is software development, and that's a, something I'm you know I have a career in, but it's also something that I've felt like, especially with the advent of fourth generation, fourth four GLs, fourth generation languages over the years that have been promised to write the code for you, or hmm. you don't need in low code, no code stuff happening all the time, or or robotic or RPA and all these other robotic process auto- automation. I've never felt like there's any, any um, fear or concern for software folks at all. It's none of those things work well. They're constantly in need of real higher level thinking to just to put the things together to make sure that you're coordinating and there's pieces of it. You can do it simply, but, Mostly, it's it's kind of vaporware, with some exceptions. So please don't pile on me for that. <laughs> I, I I sat in front of this this uh, Chat GPT 
asked it a few questions in natural language, said, I want to build this thing, gave it some requirements, gave it some ways of doing it, asked for it in a particular language, which, yeah, I, you could argue, like, do you need to, it was a Python thing, but I, but, but I, I did say, what's the best? Fixed link. Yeah. I basically could have, and I did say, actually, it, when I, I did it a second time, which was, what do you think is the best, um, simplest uh, technology stack we could use to accomplish this, writing this app? It told me, and it was, it, it actually was Python, and, and, and I, it, it, it said, you should use a cloud service, we can use it, you know, for the email functions, all the things that we all know about, but it was deciding all that stuff, putting it all together. And I said, okay, cool. I let's go through what I want, and it's responding. And then I said, great. Do you have the source code for that? Boom! It's poof. It's right there. I I said, okay. Could you give me an enumerated list of steps it would take for me to deploy this? My it won't deploy, by the way, because it doesn't. It won't deploy yet. But it doesn't Only have because it's not allowed. It's not allowed to. It's not. It, it's not. It's not. <laughs> no. con- it's not connected to the internet. So the point was, is it just says I can't do that? And I said, cool. Give me the list of instructions. It gives yeah. you a list. And I said, make them more detailed. I want to know exactly. Make sure that I... And then I said, could you give me th- the uh, ability for me to deploy these things in all three major um, cloud platforms? Boom, boom, boom. It didn't do them all at once. I have to ask for them one at a time because it won't do the big thing. But um, weirdly, at the end, I was even like, oh, could you wrap unit tests around the, the appropriate parts of the code so that we can, you know, make sure this is an, has some automated quality. Yes, and it, it the way it answers is so funny. It's like certainly exclamation point, and it just poof. All of a sudden, it's tested. You know, it boggles my mind that it, and it it took me twenty five minutes to write a bit. You know, let's say a, a relatively complex system, but then the the su- suite of tools I. I'm going to use to deploy there are very no lay person would figure that out i don't think um they'd have to work real hard to figure that out um it was very easy very 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 easy what do you think is going to happen in the technology engineering software development you know we've already talked about some of the creative endeavors for for you know people that are in doing art and and etc cetera, etc cetera, but and writing. What do you think about engineering disciplines that have some creative background to them? My skepticism is the same as yours off the gun, which is people have been trying to automate a developer for a long time. Like even like .NET 2 and like drag and drop ASPX 4 billion. All um, the way back to Borland. Yeah. Uh, like Delphi. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I think to me, it's, it's not as impressive as you, if, if you really think about it to me, like understanding the syntax, syntax and building the syntax of a particular language isn't that Im- impressive um, that a machine could like write you um grammatically syntactically perfect um code um it's no different than anybody else figuring out a, a different tool is the tool set that you're looking for 
the person who comes up with the idea and then how to how do you use the prompts appropriately to like create the code that then gets executed um and written i i still think it is automating a particular skill set right which is saying uh, someone who actually can take down a, let me re- rephrase it could it replace like offshore development that in my mind would be maybe the first thing where you have to get real good at making the like. I wasn't set good of at, at these requirements. I didn't capture yeah, them you're, in you're, any form other than about natural it. language. I was saying I need an application that emails people every Monday morning at six a.m. and then all of the results need to go on one web page. Poof, there it is. Then I said, "Oh, I, I forgot. I need a way to manage." What's in the email? Could I have an admin feature? Of course, exclamation point. Poof, it was there. Here's what's different about it in my mind. I wasn't good at nothing about what I did was good in terms of how I asked it. I asked it with messy English. Um, It just did it. Now, here's the problem. I need to test that in real life to, to say, oh, this doesn't work the way I wanted but what's what it it didn't fix that little last mile thing which is oh of course i can and here's a working version of it right now i'm gu- guaranteeing it could do that and if it could if i just said could i have a website that tracks x and it just appears and then i said oh no change it so that i that one field is i'm i'm making this hyper pedestrian but but my point is like Everything I just said, I'm, I believe is now easily possible where I didn't think it was before. I, I, I get it, what, what you're saying. It's actually no different than if you're an author and you used to write books. And now somebody's like, well, you know what? I have an idea for a book and this is what I want to do. Like, pump me out 30 pages about it. It's no different, right? Um, the, the question becomes, is, is there still an interpretation of your idea and then what's generated to do it? Um, will is the skill set will the skill set evolve into learning how to tell the machine how, like what it needs in order to build the mo- more perfect code over time does the machine get better at understanding messier and messier requirements and interpreting those in a in a particular way yeah so so yeah. I, I would say a couple of things um and you know one of the things that is going to change is is the amount of time spent on activities. So I actually think being a verifier, tester, quality assurance, quality engineering, like I think the value of that is actually going to go up quite a bit. And that the time spent on that activity, testing, relative to coding, is actually going to go up. Um, because what does the human need to do? And the human is going to more often need to do verification that actually works and it's the right thing. Um, and that's because these machines are confidently wrong all the time. Yep, Syntax, exactly. data is wrong. You've right. got to be sure. And it's not answer. nervous it gave you the wrong no, thing. It just no, no, gives no. it to it you. Just, here it yep. is. Here's exactly what it is. Um, and, and definitely wrong. Um, Did it use tabs or spaces? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it uses BIM. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, what's crazy, line. I, right. it's crazy because back in the early days of sort of the agile transformations that everyone went through, um, you know, BAs, um, project managers, and, and QA, it was like, we don't need this. We need 
really strong development teams with developers that do that. Sure. And and they and started to, to bring build tasks together. And he brought them together. Now and yeah. you know over time it's it's changed to say oh well well you know psych we actually do need these folks but they're playing a slightly different role. Oh by the way the one change that I think could be interesting is now we've got product owners essentially on teams build build teams who are speaking all the time I need this. And they're just sitting waiting for that to come back. Now, it comes back way faster than it did sure. in 1988, but it comes it's still a, just, it's just a hurdle. And I have to tell humans that get sick and have cat problems or whatever else. If I just had a product owner role and said, I need this, and now, now I can test it. Is it, does it have internal and external quality? Internal quality goes away. I don't need to know about that much. I just need to know, is it fit for purpose? Does it, is it? Is it obvious what to do when I, when I interact with this thing? So I think that's a mind-blowing to me. Yeah, but there's a jumping off point here. So I'm going to stick with the idea that the quality assurance is going to be a larger portion of the pie, right? But it's still going to be an engineering activity. Um, and it's still going to be an intellectually rigorous activity, positive and negative use cases, et cetera. We're not talking just GUI. We're talking about all the way through an application. Um, but... The other thing is uh, these systems, and, and I've tried a couple of experiments, created some uh, rust crates and done some things that actually haven't gone particularly well when it's part of an existing system. So if first blush, like build a thing from scratch, does Greenfield. a pretty good job. I, I pointed it at my old uh, InfoLab website from Stanford, which was, I'm not kidding, Built in the 90s at some point and sat fallow for that long. It's all tables, table-based tables. <laughs> There's never no CSS, right? right this right. was before we even had browsers that were genuinely capable. And I said, hey, can you refactor this using CSS? And so for a clean, discrete yeah. task, it tends to do a pretty good job, despite the fact that it's confidently wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right <laughs> so, about that. Yeah. But as part of a large system, that it doesn't have full visibility into. I haven't seen nearly the equivalent. Um, it doesn't have notions of quality. Remember, it's a language model. It doesn't know about non-functional requirements. It doesn't have concepts of speed. It can't do optimizations and tuning. It will do things like, um, there's an example of a, a guy on the web who asked it to write a recursive, function for calculating a, a number in the Fibonacci sequence. Fantastic. Did it. The guy was delighted because he was like, oh, this is hard. I looked at it and said, hmm, that's not actually hard because you could crawl the web and find it in Google very simply and realize that for any large number, uh, large element of the Fibonacci sequence, you want the iterative version because that recursive version will blow out your memory. Right. Like it's you would not code something that way and expect it to work. But what you just so, said is what so, you learned by doing it. Sure. My guess so is, the point is, though, won't it know, learn to no, do all of that? Because it's not. This is the thing is it's not yet grounded, for example, in non-functional. Oh, like no, in it's not yet. In memory no, agreed, agreed. It's, it's a language model. So the closest it can get is functional requirements where. A tuned AI, I think, can do a great job is if you take an enterprise that's got a, a complicated front end and a website and an order system and it goes into a CRM and, and behind that there's an ERP and a 
fulfillment system and you've got HRS databases and you've got whatever your core business is managed in, I don't know, a large Oracle database, half of it's custom and homebrew, et cetera. There, there is so much there, oftentimes literally millions or tens of millions of lines of code that represent the core function of the enterprise. There's no person that can actually absorb it all. There's nobody who has an abstraction that's big enough that they can step back and see the large scale like as an architect and yet be intimate with all of the code along the way. So you can't do um, factor analysis. You, it's hard to quote, look end to end, even with instrumentation, et cetera. That's something that an AI can do. And that's something that certain companies have tried to over the years point them at. But that's something that an AI can do because it's going to be fairly rudimentary. Is that um, what OpenAI does with their APIs? I don't know this. No, because they, they actually do code analysis. No, no, they do code analysis. That's with a, a different, different It's a different tool. It is. It's an API that they you can yeah. you can send. You can basically say here here's a code base. Improve it for me now. Improve I, again, it means what? Still confidently wrong. Like it doesn't take the code run it through a compiler, test it. It's literally just giving you what it feels like should be right from a language perspective and oftentimes isn't even functionally correct. But let's assume it's functionally correct for a second. It's never been tested and, and non-functionally might be just an atrocious solution. Um, I, I Not today, but I've, I've got some examples of atrocious solutions, just like the, the um, factorial doing it recursively that you would never do because it wouldn't work even though it's it's syntactically correct anyway um i do think though that when it comes to that end-to-end -end optimization not a large language model the different type of ai could take a look at your entire running system and look basically end-to-end -end across an enterprise across an enterprise in a way that a human never could and that's a that's going to be something that's kind of neat. That's like just a better tool um, because the AI is able to absorb more inputs and look at more factors and look at more, you know, knows it doesn't care that it's written in 10 different languages across the enterprise, doesn't need to, quote, know them, but will be able to do this analysis. Those are the kinds of things that I think could be like game changers that a human engineer couldn't do it. They would have to take a ton of time, do a ton of learning paw through code, yeah. learn running systems, et cetera. And you're going to point your AI at it. It's going to deduce it in, you know, hours, maybe days. Whereas for the human, it literally take them years to understand the system. And everyone's and scared of it. They don't have, want to touch it. They would never have enough time in their life to read, much less understand 10 million lines of code. The computer's going to ingest it in a couple, you know, seconds. We, we used so, to use um, ReSharper. All yeah, the time, yeah, and it yeah. would give you mm -hmm. like you know code analysis, code analysis yeah. into it, and, refactoring suggestions. Oh, I used to love it when it would give you this, you know, like the underline, and you'd say it would be like, "Oh, refactor this," and you would refactor it, and then immediately after it was refactored, it would scribble under its own refactoring uh -huh, and be like, "You could again. do this a different way." <laughs> it was like, "Okay, well, which one?" <laughs> it's funny. I had that experience with this stupid tool. I yeah. said, "Build this thing for me," and it came up with a solution. I said, "Is this the best way to do it?" Something like that. And it's like, I would recommend. And it was something different. Like, why did you tell me the shitty way to do it? You know, because it, it's a language it's, model. But, but it doesn't have ultimately, an understanding of what it's spitting out. Ultimately, though, I wonder if you were, let's just say you you have the skill to understand the non-functionals. You, 
you understand how to iterate and and come up with new um, new systems that you can evaluate against reality, right? And if you were good at just asking for that and understood those parameters you're talking about, um, and a way to QA it, right? And maybe there's a way to QA it. But if you could abstract away some of the cruft, which is I like looking at code. I like understanding it. But if I didn't, if people were coming out of school, didn't have to look at it. And it was like, could you just make this faster for me? Now, I don't know if that's possible. No, no, no. But it could work. And it could work sometimes. And you could introduce pathological errors that you wouldn't find until after you've destroyed all your data. (laughs) For example, the risk of having a non-expert practitioner use a tool that generates an intermediate language like Java that they don't themselves deeply understand, that uh, is a recipe for disaster. And I think we're going to see disasters like that. Like, here's the thing. Take Southwest Airlines recently. Um, They had, you know, basically a meltdown that to some extent they blamed software for and legacy and not updating and too tight operational parameters, whole set of things that's highly complicated. But they know ultimately that this is the product of people and systems and that there are ways to fix it. Imagine you have that system that's been written by machines. So first of all, you get to the blame story, which is, we don't know why this happened. Stupid, <laughs> stupid machine. We're going to sue our vendor. It, it, it used to right? be. Oh, it was the <laughs> last consultant we had. Right. right. We're going to sue our vendor. Um, and then we also don't know how to fix it never written by humans that understand it. so we can't even call in the experts or put together the tiger team or whatever it just it's a thing that runs on its own and just has got its own regenerates the whole thing from scratch again come on yeah. right like this is not a way to run a continuous operation or an enterprise like it just not yet anyway um there you have to have people that know the thing that you're gonna do at least as well as the machine does which is is going to be hard at scale but so having the non-developer this is like having the no this is why we've had low code no code promises for years and years is having the non-engineer develop code and then they're like oh but it takes 15 hours to run this query and then you bring in a dba who you know pointed at the database is like oh man you're missing these three indexes and now it takes 15 seconds right and that's you know, that's the risk of that non-practitioner developing a system that's increasing scale, increasing complexity. They don't know how it works. It's a recipe for disaster. Now, there's a certain set of domains. Again, I'm out on a limb here, but I think we'll never trust it for. Um, And those are real-time and control systems. Like, you're not going to trust an embedded system, like, I don't know, a pacemaker to be generated by a machine like i want it to be this fast and whatever and then it just spits out some code and you upload it into somebody's heart <laughs> like you you know it's you don't trust it right yeah. implicitly maybe um my use case that i tried to do um earlier this week i, I was talking to neil about it before um we, we sat down is i tried to write my my own performance review using <laughs> chat gpt and you know, I, I, yeah, I did it as an experiment. You know, I started off with, um, all right, well, here's a few attributes of myself. Like, give me, give me two pages on that. Um, it wasn't very good. And then I was like, all right, well, let me add some more stuff. Let me talk about some of the projects my team delivered. 
And it did it again. I'm like, well, that doesn't really help. And then I'm like, well, let me put in some of the things that like made the project difficult to get by, which is why it was so important uh, to make it more. The next thing I know, my list of inputs is literally longer oh, and better yeah. uh, at explaining it than the actual thing that came out. So then it was kind of like, okay, if if now this is becoming more of a problem of can I do the prompts and entry in a way right. that skill it's going right? to, like that be, it becomes a skill set. And I'm like, you know what? I'd much rather just write my review, pump that in and say, yeah. edit this. So my, my wife called me yesterday and said, could you look at the Airbnb thing I just developed for our our house you know, to rent our house? Cool. And I was I had a plan in mind. I was like, huh. I'll, I'll look at it. So I grabbed it. I copied everything she wrote, put it in in the thing, and asked, okay, "Hey, could you make this hit all the hit all the marks for Airbnb on um, the things that work best? The title, everything. It made an incredible one, but it was a little light. And I was like, oh, I copied in. Could you please improve this using this list of amenities? It made up a few amenities, which is weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Confidently incorrect. Yep. So you have to reread it. But I, but it, I said, <laughs> here's like 30 amenities. Just improve it. By, and it's like, enjoy barbecues on the large deck the overlooking the lake. All I put in was, we have a deck. you know, Right. And it was incredible. No, it's really good. And it's really so neat. But, you know what one of the risks is? And this mm-hmm. is, again, this is like follow the bouncing ball. Is that the amount of text now that can be generated cheaply or to the new closest approximation of free is going to be tremendous, right? So what happens? People don't. This is the thing. You and I are rate limited by our eyes and our ears, our ability to consume. Are we going to start reading a lot more every day? Or are we going to actually look at this and say, ugh, this is another chat GBT thing? Like, like I have no longer any patience to read long flower emails, even though they start showing up yeah. and machines start generating reports and, and you're not going to read them anyway. And so the amount of stuff that probably gets generated versus the stuff that is never consumed, I suspect goes up really, mm-hmm. really fast in a very short amount of time. And then we're going to bounce back, right? It's going to be designed to be, let's get some really good in the style. Yeah. That Google SEO prefers. I actually really I can <laughs> right? I want to use it in the opposite like, way though, where it's like, why did you send me a flowery email? When, when, you, when you have maybe when right. you have GPT three, why didn't you just give it to me in two sentences? Like stop sending me fifty page, you know, yeah, tomes. So it, but it's what? interesting. But I, I suspect again, we'll see a lot of machine generated proliferation that will then have to yeah. be you know, we'll have to swing the pendulum back. Contend again. with it all and figure out no how way to, to read all that more. So let's do this. I think this has been great. It's been very long, but I would say um, super fun because it's uh, such an important and big topic. I think we have a handful of more topics to discuss. Let's maybe let's put a pin in it for today and we can come back to this one um, as the story unfolds here. Um, weirdly, as we were talking, I got an e- a text from a friend who said, a company um, just, they have a service. Basically, they mimic someone's voice. They call uh, advisors and they called an, adv- an advisor to get wire transfer fees removed from all of their wire transfers. Um, 
and just had a conversation with a with an AI that they didn't realize is an AI. And it's the company's called I won't share it, but um, the company I'll, I'll erase it. Do not pay at do not pay, and they claim to be the first robot AI lawyer. That's their claim to fame. They're developing the ability to just ask it legal questions and such, which sounds like a legal problem by itself, but interesting enough. All right. Hey, guys. Do you awesome. Think the person who sent you that is. Good question. Hey, guys. It was an awesome uh, conversation. I really appreciate all your background and depth on this one, but maybe we do this again next time. Yeah, that's great. All right. Talk to you later. Peace.